friends, welcome back to another episode of Blush. This is the show where we talk about all the things that might make you blush. Well, I guess I shouldn't say we, because this week I'm alone. Tiffany is currently on a flight to London, so you're stuck with just me. I'm your co-host or solo host for today, Heba. Honestly, we could have taken the week off, but I really didn't want to leave you guys hanging. I really want to thank you guys for listening every week, for leaving reviews on iTunes, for sharing in your stories, and for all of your DMs. It really makes my day when I read that someone is getting something from this podcast, whether it's information or just entertainment or, frankly, what not to do and how not to behave. Either way, it means so much to me, so as a thank you for your continued loyalty, I figured I would awkwardly ramble by myself instead of leaving you guys without an episode. So you're welcome, or I'm sorry, I don't know. Um, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about last week's episode with Colleen. If you haven't listened yet, there's a wealth of information about fertility, natural birth control, hormones, and intimacy. On the episode, we talked about basal body temperature as one of the markers of ovulation and how you can use that as a form of birth control. So actually, while we were recording the episode, I ordered the Daisy BBT thermometer. It's a really like chic and sleek looking BBT thermometer. And I think it's probably the most expensive one there is. So in my mind, I figured, oh, it must be the best. And I don't know, it's aesthetically pleasing. So let me get that one. And just a little PSA. I don't love it. Um... There's no display on it, and it automatically syncs with the app, so that's how you're supposed to do it. Well, it doesn't automatically sync. You have to manually sync it with the app. And the app doesn't work great. It's a little bit glitchy, and you can't even just use it manually because there's no display on it. So I guess what I'm saying is if you want to order a BBT thermometer, I would not get Daisy. There are cheaper ones that probably work just as well, if not better. So yeah, that's just my PSA for the day. I have spent the past two weeks at war with the thermometer. Um, Before I was on my period, it was adamant that I was on my period, which is pretty fucking weird because I'm pretty fucking sure there was no blood. And yet I had this app telling me that I was bleeding. And then a few days later, I actually get my period and I try to tell it that I have my period and it's refusing to believe that I have my period. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe go a different route. I don't know. Anyway, while I was on my period, I was super busy with work, which is such a change for me and it's been really exhausting. But the rest of the time, I was so tired. All I really wanted to do was rest and watch TV And so I've watched a lot of TV this past week. And I have to say, we are doing a lot in the TV world. (laughs) Like we have come a really far way from those old cheesy sitcoms where there's a laugh track and a live audience and sounds and whatever. I mean, every episode of a TV show these days is like a feature film. It's wild. If you're working in the entertainment industry, hats off, chef's kiss. You guys are really fucking killing it. 
So one of the shows that I've been watching is Billions. And I watched Billions back in the day. I mean, I'm up to date on it. I started watching it pretty much when it came out. But Ozzy, my boyfriend, has not seen it. And so I've been watching it from the beginning with him, which is really nice because I actually started watching it during law school finals, I want to say. I would be like outlining while watching it. So I missed a lot of shit. So it's really nice to be rewatching it. And I have to say, if you have not watched the show, I would highly recommend it. It's entertaining. There's a lot of really beautiful real estate. Um, I also have more appreciation for it now that I live in New York because I think it's actually, it is filmed in New York. So, you know, you notice filming locations, whatever. It's a white collar crime show. So there's a lot about, you know, Wall Street and hedge funds and shit like that. Um, interesting government stuff. But what I find the most interesting about the show is watching childhood wounding play out. So basically, all of the adults in the show are really motivated by what they were not getting as children. So the protagonist of the show, Axe, is a hedge fund manager, and he grew up kind of poor, having nothing. And he's so motivated by having money and having control and being seen. Whereas his kind of nemesis on the show, Chuck, grew up in a very wealthy family. And Chuck really doesn't care a whole lot about money. What Chuck cares about is autonomy and respect. He grew up under this very wealthy, very powerful father. And you can still see that he has those issues with wanting that respect and being seen for himself and not, you know, being entangled and enmeshed with his father. Also, another really interesting element of this show is, um, I won't say who in case you haven't seen it, but there is someone on this show that has kind of an outlandish, or not outlandish, but a, a a sexual fetish. I won't say what it is, but it's it's something, it's kind of big, you know, it's outside of your normal, like, you know, wanting to be choked a little or whatever, you know, I don't know, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> cream pie, I don't know, God, did I just say that? <laughs> I'm sorry, the wheels are really falling off the bus. <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this by myself. Here we are. I'm so sorry you're listening to this, <laughs> but it is what it is. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit more than that. And it's kind of a bigger storyline in the show. Like he really has to keep his fetish hidden. And it's just wild to me that it's the 21st century. You know, we're so much more sex positive now. We've made so much progress in these areas. And yet there are people that feel like they have to keep these things hidden, not because they want to keep it private because it's private, but because it could hurt them in their professional careers. It's just wild to me. Like, I cannot imagine if I had some like really outlandish sexual fantasy, like let's say I was like really into furries or something. If someone out there found out that I was into furries and like publicly posted it on the internet, I have to say I'm not a public figure. So like, why would anyone give a shit? But let's just say I was hypothetically. And someone out there was like, yeah, he was really into furries. I'd be like, yeah. And 
like, what's your point? How does this affect your life? If you're not sleeping with me, if you're not the one dressing up as a stuffed animal to turn me on, then why does this matter to you? I don't understand. So yeah, I think we've made a lot of progress in this area. I don't know. I mean, season one of the show was what, 2017? So not that long ago. And I guess it's different by industry, but I just... I really hope we can work towards a future where we're not shaming people for their kinks, right? Right? Like, we can get there, right? Okay, speaking of furries, I also have been watching Succession and no sex stuff, but there was a literal animal. Okay, I have to backtrack. I was watching the most recent episode of Succession, the one that came out last Sunday. I was just watching it last night. And... It opens with Kendall and his people. By the way, if you haven't watched the show, not a big deal. You'll still be able to follow where I'm getting with this, which is pretty much nowhere, which is pretty much the theme of this episode. (laughs) So yeah, Kendall is at his place or at his ex-wife's place or whatever, watching the FBI sees at Waystar. And then something really fucking weird happens. So Kendall is on the phone pacing in the apartment And there's this little playpen with some fake grass in there and what looks like some kind of structure, like a little like like tiny, tiny house type thing and a rabbit. And there's an iPad stand next to the rabbit with the iPad on it. And the iPad is facing inside the playpen, like at the rabbit. And so Kendall's on the phone and he then abruptly yells out, Jess, rabbit cam for the kids. And then Kendall continues on his phone call. And from the background, you know, the camera's on Kendall on the phone call, which is what you're supposed to be watching if you're a normal person. But if you're me, your attention goes to the background where you see Kendall's assistant or the PA or something. I don't know who she is. Jess runs up to the playpen and she's holding the iPad up to the rabbit so that I guess Kendall's children can FaceTime with the rabbit. And I mean, I don't think the rabbit was a very active participant in the FaceTime. It was literally running away from the iPad, but that's neither here nor there. So I have approximately 1 million questions. Number one, who is this rabbit? Where did it come from? Like, have we met the rabbit before? When did the rabbit enter into our lives? Like what, like why are we suddenly presented with a rabbit and we're just supposed to act like it's normal? Like, does this mean something? Does it represent something? What's that structure? Is it like a little house for when the rabbit, what is tired of its outdoor time? Like, what the fuck is going on with the rabbit? Like, does anyone else care? Like, is there, I feel like we've come so far in TV, but there just seems to be a lack of continuity in the show. I mean, did I just miss the rabbit because I'm always playing on my phone while I'm on TV? Is there symbolism there like is it a symbol of how I don't know wealthy they are that they just have someone who can hold uh, an iPad up to the rabbit so that the kids can see the rabbit like why didn't the kids take the pet rabbit with them when they left the house like when I go places I either have a sitter for my dog or I take my dog with me now if I were going to another house that I owned which is presumably where the kids have gone I would just take 
my dog with me, right? I wouldn't just have someone there holding an iPad up to my dog so I could FaceTime with the dog, right? Like, am I crazy here? Am I, I mean, yes, I am crazy. Am I the only person who cares as much about this rabbit? I understand it's not like an A plot line or a B plot line or really anywhere within the first 10 letters of the alphabet plot line of the show. But just as for the rabbit, I need more information on the rabbit. If anyone knows more about the rabbit, please DM me. Okay, now that that's over, I want to switch gears to something else that's kind of fucking weird and that I also spend a lot of time thinking about, and that is Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly. I've never really been very on top of pop culture. I really, I mean, I my entire life have thought I was an alien, And there are a lot of reasons for this, but one of the primary reasons is that it just feels like everyone in this world is aware of things that I'm not. So yeah, Machine Gun Kelly literally didn't know about his existence. But since COVID, I've been a little more aware of celebrity gossip in part because I follow a couple of accounts that are really on top of it. Anyway, so Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly start dating and they immediately start becoming just pop culture terrorists. I mean, it just it's just, it's disgusting. It's painful. It's annoying. Um, you know, they're making like weird, cringy sexual references. Like they went on a trip and then uh, posted something about how their Airbnb table has seen some things. I don't know. It was gross. Like as hot as they are, it was just kind of gross. Like everything about it, I think is kind of toxic. Um, so here's an example. So Megan Fox posts something on her Instagram, uh, a picture of the two of them from some kind of photo shoot where I will say they look stunning. They, I mean, Megan Fox is so hot and Machine Gun Kelly, I don't find attractive in that kind of way, but he has kind of like a model look to him. Like, I think if he wasn't so busy being so odd and I, I, truly have not heard a single song of his, so I really shouldn't be saying this. He could have made a really nice model because he kind of has that type of face. Anyway, so stunning photo, caption, questionable. Megan Fox writes, the tale of two outcasts and star-crossed lovers caught in the throes of a torrid solar flare of a romance featuring feverish obsession, guns, addiction, shamans, lots of blood, general mayhem, therapy, (laughs) tantric night terrors, binding rituals, chakra sound baths, psychedelic hallucinations, (laughs) organic smoothies, and the kind of sex that would make Lucifer clutch his rosary. Um, So first off, one of these things is not like the other. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Organic smoothies. Like, I'm so happy that in the midst of, you know, violence and guns and blood and all the other weird shit that was happening, they managed to take in their organic smoothies because, you know, you've got to fuel those cells if you're up to those other shenanigans. But like, what the fuck? 
here's my issue with it. I think that we tend to romanticize these kinds of relationships that are so dysfunctional. Now, whether it's Disney and all of its kind of sexist shit of the princes coming to save the helpless princess or, you know, they just lay eyes on each other, you know, and he has to uh, spend his life carrying around a shoe to find this person that he doesn't even know what she looks like. He only knows via her shoe. Like these things just aren't real. That's not actually how love works. This type of feverish obsession is just not healthy, you know? Anyway, there's either a post that MGK posted or he may have replied to her post or something. I don't remember exactly what it was and I can't seem to find it. I think there were song lyrics, but it was something like, oh, without you, there's no life or some shit like insinuating that he would die without her. And here's the thing. A, you're not going to die without her. No one is going to die without anyone. We can all live without each other. And this is just, it's toxic. It's not the image that we should be portraying. Like I worry for kids growing up with this and, you know, finding a normal, functional, stable partner where they're, you know, autonomous and able to do things without each other, but also genuinely love and care for each other and thinking that's not enough because they're seeing MGK and Megan Fox on TV carrying around each other's bloods and doing binding rituals. And I, I don't even know what with guns. I really don't want to know. Either way. I think it's really problematic, and um, frankly, I really worry about it. And I will say I think Courtney Kardashian and what's his name, Travis Barker? Yeah, is that his name? The um, Fuck, what's that? Uh, Blink-182, the Blink-182 drummer. Yeah, I think they're a little bit better because, and I've never watched the show, but my understanding is they've been friends for years. Their kids are friends. They kind of have that blended family thing. So it's a little bit better. The one thing I will say that I think is a little bit weird with them is that I guess he used to watch this movie, True Romance, with his ex-wife. And they like walked down the aisle to it and named their children after characters in the movie. And now him and Courtney are all doing all this stuff with the movie, like dressing up as characters from the movie. And I will say, I think that if you're dating someone, you should be starting um, a new relationship and not replaying your old relationship. Also, the last thing I'll say about this is we currently have all these celebrity couples that everyone's talking about. Why are there no gay celebrity couples that we're all talking about? Like, why are all these like, quote unquote, couple goals, hashtag couple goals, whatever, shoot me now. Why are they all heterosexual? Like, Can we please find a gay couple to idolize, right? And preferably one with a bit of like a healthy functional relationship where, you know, they make each other better, but also they're autonomous people and um, they're not, you know, doing a lot with blood, preferably. I don't know. Just saying, just saying. Anyway, I digress. So <laughs> now that we're done with that, <laughs> thank you to anyone who's still listening. I do want to say with Thanksgiving fast approaching, I really want to urge everyone to be grateful for 
whatever stage of romance that you're in. So if you're someone who's fully single and not talking to anyone and you have nothing going on in your life in terms of romance, not in general, I want to say kudos to you because not a lot of people have courage for that. I have so many friends who have not once for not one minute of their lives just been completely alone, like not had a guy on the back burner, had nothing. So to be able to do that is huge and you will grow so much from that. So kudos to you. Be grateful that you have the courage to do that. If you're someone who's actively dating right now, dating is a fucking roller coaster. I was just talking about this with a friend, right? Like it's kind of exciting. And then like maybe you start to like someone and it's more exciting. And then maybe someone you kind of liked is ghosting you. So it's kind of sucks. Or maybe you're going on a lot of dates that are kind of duds. And so it's just tiring and frustrating and you get over it. And then you find someone that you kind of like again, and it's exciting all over again. It's this fucking cycle. And honestly, be grateful for every part of that cycle because it's all part of it. And one day you'll be in a relationship and you'll kind of look back and be like, I'm so glad I had all of those experiences, all of the bad dates. Like, frankly, I wish I had had more bad dates because they're kind of fun, funny stories. So yeah, be grateful for all of it. And I know that's sometimes hard to hear, but it's really true. And also if you're in a relationship that's currently facing some hardships or issues, be grateful for that. And I know that sounds kind of cunty to say, but here's the thing. The problems that we face in our lives aren't there to hurt us. They're there to help us grow. We subconsciously attract people who bring out our childhood wounding so that we can work through that wounding. These conflicts are there to bring us into our most authentic whole selves. And we tend to attract people who bring that out. We tend to attract people who had kind of the opposite experience as us, or maybe in some ways similar, in some ways opposite. I guess what I'm getting at is I know it can be difficult, right? I I've been in a lot of turbulent relationships and it can definitely be difficult. And I'm not saying like definitely work through it. I'm not saying definitely break up. Who knows? All I'm saying is whatever conflicts you're facing are there to help you as an individual. So as hard as it is, just kind of be grateful for it. So yeah, that's my Thanksgiving rant. Um, I want to switch gears. (laughs) So I've been reading this book and... um, There's a letter published in the book that a young college student sent to her parents. Um, I do think this is from a long time ago based on little things that are in the letter and the fact that she wrote a letter to her parents. Um, So I want to read this letter to you guys because apparently this podcast has turned into like a kindergarten read aloud, but here we are. (laughs) Okay, she writes... By the way, I hated read aloud in kindergarten or in school in general. I was never good at it. Like tripping over words was so embarrassing. I never know how to pronounce words correctly. So I can't fucking believe I'm doing it on the podcast now. But here we are. You're welcome. Dear mother and dad. 
Since I left for college, I have been remiss in writing and I'm sorry for my thoughtlessness in not having written before. I will bring you up to date now, but before you read on, please sit down. You are not to read any further unless you are sitting down, okay? Well then, I'm getting along pretty well now. The skull fracture and the concussion I got when I jumped out the window of my dormitory when it caught on fire shortly after my arrival here is pretty well healed now. I only spent two weeks in the hospital and now I can see almost normally and only get those sick headaches once a day. Fortunately, the fire in the dormitory and my jump was witnessed by a worker at the gas station near the dorm and he was the one who called the fire department and the ambulance. He also visited me in the hospital since, and since I had nowhere to live because of the burnt-out dormitory, he was kind enough to invite me to share his apartment with him. It's really a basement room, but it's kind of cute. He is a very fine boy, and we've fallen deeply in love and are planning to get married. We haven't got the exact date yet, but it will be before my pregnancy begins to show. Yes, mother and dad, I am pregnant. I know how much you are looking forward to being grandparents, and I know you will welcome the baby and give it the same love and devotion and tender care that you gave me when I was a child. The reason for the delay in our marriage is that my boyfriend has a minor infection which prevents us from passing our premarital blood tests, and I carelessly caught it from him. Now that I've brought you up to date, I want to tell you that there was no dormitory fire. I did not have a concussion or a skull fracture. I was not in the hospital. I am not pregnant. I'm not engaged. I am not infected. And there is no boyfriend. However, I am getting a D in American history and an F in, in chemistry. And I want you to see those marks in their proper pers perspective. Your loving daughter, Sharon. Okay. So I wanted to read you this, not just because I think it's witty and because I'm sitting in a room talking to myself like a fucking psycho, but because it illustrates a concept called perceptual contrast. Basically, the idea is that when you present two things in a row, your perception of the second thing is influenced by the first thing. So an illustration of this, we did this in school. I don't know if you guys did it in school, like in science class or something, but basically a common experiment is two kids put their hands in buckets of water. One puts their hand in a bucket of hot water. The other puts their hand in a bucket of cold water. And then both of them put their hands in a bucket of room temperature water. Now the kid who had their hand in hot water, the room temperature will feel ice cold to them. The person who had their hand in cold water, the room temperature water will feel hot to them. Obviously the room temperature water is the same temperature. The kids are experiencing different things because of what they had just experienced. So your perception of something depends on what just preceded it. Another illustration of this and something to keep in mind is if you go shopping um, and are talking to a salesperson and list a few things that you need, they'll always show you the more expensive thing first. So like, let's say you go into Apple. I don't know if that's a good example. Um, okay, let's do another example. Let's say you go into a store and you need a suit and you also need gloves. They're always going to show you the suit first because suits are super expensive. 
And so then when you go to look at gloves, if they show you a more expensive glove in comparison, you won't think much of it. Like you won't like, okay, whatever, like $60 gloves. It's not going to seem that much to you because you just spent like $500 or a grand or however much a suit costs on a suit. So it's a neat trick that sales clerks use. Now, if they had shown you the gloves first, you'd be anchored down. Like, A, if they showed you $60 gloves, you would probably be like, eh, I don't know if I want to spend $60 on gloves. So then you'd go down to like $20 gloves and then you go over to suits and that's going to seem so jarring and you'd end up buying a way cheaper suit. So yeah, it's a little trick that sales clerks use, but it's a trick that you can use. For example, we have Thanksgiving coming up. Let's say you don't want to go to your family's Thanksgiving. A good way to sandwich this in is tell them worse news first and then tell them that you're not coming to Thanksgiving. So in comparison, it won't seem so bad. I don't know. Just a thought. Just want to throw it out there. But That brings me to what I actually want to talk about today. I'm not just going to like ramble about bunny rabbits and um, blood and guns. There's actually another thing here, and that is communication. So I've been thinking about communication a lot lately, in part because it's not something I'm great at, and it's something that, frankly, my boyfriend is terrible at. So... um, I've been doing a lot of research on this, reading a lot, talking to a lot of experts. And here's the thing. Communication is probably the most important thing for any type of relationship that you're in. Not just romantic relationships, all relationships benefit from communication. And communication really is like clearly, concisely, and effectively stating what you want. And If you communicate well, you can deal with conflicts before they become conflicts. Also, other benefits are that it increases intimacy, it increases trust, and it increases the feel-good chemicals in your brain. So having effective communication actually makes you happier. So based on my research, everyone I've talked to, everything I've read, Here are what I think are the pillars of effective communication. I'm going to list them off and then I'm going to dive into each one. So the first one is space. The second one is cooperation. Then we have authenticity, listening, clarity, empathy, assertiveness, and accountability. Okay, so I'm going to go in that order. Space. You need to be, first off, personally in the right headspace for the type of conversation that you want to have. And also, you need to make sure that the other person has space in proportion to what the conversation is. So let's say the conversation is like you just want to vent about something that happened at work. It's not that big of a deal. You just want to make sure that the person that you're talking to isn't in the middle of something like they're not like on a phone call. Like, for example, I fucking hate when I'm walking down the street 
I'm on the phone and, you know, the like whatever starving children or the environment or whatever those people are that are like have their clipboards on the street approach you. And I'm like, hey, I'm on the fucking phone. I obviously do not have the space for the conversation that you want to have with me right now. Like I'm actively on a phone call. This is so rude. So the space that you need is in proportion to the conversation. If it's a bigger, more emotional conversation, I think you should always explicitly ask the other person if they have space for that conversation right now. And most importantly, make sure that you are in the right headspace. If you're charged, if you're emotional right now, if you're angry, it's not the right time for you to be having that conversation. Okay, so space. Um, what did I say next? Cooperation, I think. Yeah. And by that, I mean that you have to be open-minded. You have to be viewing this conversation as a two-way street. You have to really drop your sword and shield. You have to really drop, like resist the urge to be defensive. You have to be willing to consider someone else's perspective. Okay, next. Uh, where were we? Authenticity. Maybe I said authenticity second. I don't know. Whatever. We're doing it in this order now. So authenticity may be the most important thing. You really have to be true to yourself. And here's the thing. I don't think most of us go into any conversation intending to lie for the most part. I think inauthenticity comes from when you're lying to yourself, which I think we do all the time. Like I think we're so in denial sometimes about how we actually feel about something. And I don't think that you can get what you need out of a conversation if you're not being authentic with yourself. So I think something that really helps with this is journaling. And you really have to take all of judgment away so that you can be really honest with yourself. I've had a lot of conversations with people where they're really triggered by something, but they don't want to acknowledge that they're triggered by it because you know, it makes them seem like they care more or whatever, it defies their point or whatever. And one way they'll do it is like to try to like laugh to make it seem like they're not angry and not triggered. And that's like when you are laughing in a conversation where internally you're kind of crying, the other person knows and it just, it doesn't come across great. So, you know, kind of going along with space, make sure you're in a place, in a space where you can be true to yourself. Otherwise, you're not going to get what you need out of the conversation. Okay, moving along, um, listening. So in a real conversation, people take turns speaking and receiving. And when it's your turn to receive, you really have to sit there and just hear the other person. So don't just sit and wait for your turn to speak. Be an active listener, nod, say mm-hmm, things like that. Um, also a tool that's from something called Emogo therapy or Emogo dialogue is repeat what the person said back to them. So if someone says something, you repeat it back to them and say, so what I'm hearing is blah, 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 blah. Did I get that right? And wait for them to say yes and then say, okay, is there anything more to that? And wait for them to be fully done and just receive the entire time and then you can respond. 
Also a good tip, ask clarifying questions. If you're not fully sure what they mean by something, ask, ask for clarifiers. Like try to ask two to three questions before you even go to responding. Okay, so we've done space, authenticity, cooperation, listening. Um, I really don't remember what order I laid out, but we're going to go to clarity next. Um, really important part of communication. This is something that I really, really struggle with. And I love this quote, communication isn't what you meant to say. It's what the other person received. So I tend to talk in circles a lot, especially in bigger, more uncomfortable conversations, or I guess on this podcast today. (laughs) And honestly, the reason I talk in circles a lot is because I sometimes feel uncomfortable saying what I really want to say. And we're going to address that in assertiveness. But I do want to say that assertiveness, authenticity, and clarity are really enmeshed with each other. But yeah, um, a good way to be a little more clear is practice what you're going to say. If it's a written thing, write it out a few times, edit it, make sure you're actually getting your point across. Um, And also with clarity, the biggest thing is just practicing constantly. The more you practice effective communication, the more clear you will be at it. Okay, empathy, so important. Um, you know, as human beings, we have something called mirror neurons in our brains and they're specialized neurons that, um, allow us to see ourselves in another human being. I don't think a lot of other animals have it. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not a zoologist. I just know about this one tiny subject, but basically empathy is what makes us human. It's what creates common ground. So, this kind of goes along with cooperation. Make sure you put your sword and shield down and actually are trying to feel what this person is saying. Put yourself in their shoes. Otherwise, you're not going to get anywhere. And lastly, well, two things left. Assertiveness. Now, assertiveness almost feels like it's contradictory with empathy, but it doesn't really have to be. Um, You really have to clearly state what you want. Um, You can't let someone else impose their agenda upon you. And I'm not saying to be aggressive, but you do have to be confident in your delivery. Assertiveness is very difficult for people like me who are people pleasers, which is a big part of why I lack clarity so much when I speak because I can't be assertive. Here's the thing, though. I don't think that empathy and assertiveness have to be contradictory. It's a bit of a dance, right? Like you can empathize with someone and still state your position clearly. Like let's say let's say your partner is mad at you because you didn't text them and they interpreted this as you don't care about them. And you know that you do care about them. You just, you didn't text them because you were busy or whatever. You can empathize with how they're feeling and the fact that this lack of text made them feel that way. And you want to repeat it back to them and you really want to feel their pain, but you can still assert clearly that that's not what you meant by it. You know, once they're, once you're done receiving, once you're done hearing 
them once you're done repeating back what they said. And once you really felt it, you can then clearly assert that that's not what you meant by it, right? That's kind of a dumb example. I'm just saying they don't have to be contradictory, even though they are in a bit of a dance together. Um, Okay. And lastly, you really, you have to take accountability. This is so important. We've talked about this before on the podcast with apologizing. You really have to take accountability, even if something is kind of out of your hands. You know, I recently had a friend um, kind of like flake on something and it wasn't her fault. It was something with a flight changing or something. It really wasn't her fault. But nevertheless, if you're not showing up to an obligation and it doesn't matter what is happening to you, you could be in the hospital, you still have to apologize and you can explain, but you shouldn't ever say something like, oh, it was out of my hands. Well, I can't control it. Things like that. That's not what you should be leading with. You should always be leading with accountability because at the end of the day, the recipient of this, it's definitely not their fault. And so between the two of you, it's more your fault. So wherever you can take accountability, because that's going to go so far in actually resolving whatever the situation is. Okay. So that's it on communication. Um, Just to recap, the pillars, in my opinion, are space, authenticity, cooperation, listening, clarity, empathy, assertiveness, and accountability. I think that's the order. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) It doesn't really matter. Um, And honestly, the best way to be a better communicator is to practice constantly and practice all of these pillars in your day-to-day life so that when a higher stakes situation comes up, you're a little bit more seasoned. So yeah, that's that on that. Um, I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, This episode was really weird. Uh, I know it must be really weird just listening to me rambling by myself like a crazy person. I really hope you got something from it. Um, I'm sure you miss Tiffany. I miss Tiffany. It's really fucking weird to do this alone. Um, But yeah, if you did listen and you did get something from it, please, 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 will you screenshot the episode, share it in your stories and tag at blushpod so that I know that you listened and that you liked it. It'll mean so much to me because it's very vulnerable and weird to be doing this by myself. Also, if you made it all the way to the end of the episode, um, I want to start a little secret society of probably just myself because I can't imagine anyone else has listened all the way through. But if you made it all the way through, screenshot the episode, put it in your stories, tag at blush pod and add a telephone emoji on the story so that I know that you're in the secret society telephone for communication. I don't know. I'll come up with something else next week. But yeah, thank you for listening. Love you guys. Um, I'll see you next week. Hopefully I won't be alone. (laughs) But yeah, and DM me. Tell me what you thought of the episode. Tell me what you think of, you know, my take on communication. I mean, it's rich for me to even be talking about communication. It's really the blind leading the deaf here. But here we are. Okay, so secret society, telephone emoji, stories, 
Can't wait to see them. Love you guys.